Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Sheologians. My name is Summer Yeager, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And Joy, I want you to know, and this is, this is a compliment, just, this is a compliment. Um. <laughs> Sometimes that's how our compliments are. We know they're compliments, but we just want to make sure you guys also know that. If I were to find a strange desire within me, to want to go camping, which is something I don't ever want to do. <laughs> I would hope that however this camping trip was going, like that you could go to. Because I oh, feel yeah. like it would it would really help me out a lot. It probably would. <laughs> it would just help me. To I'm a very there. good camper. Right. And I have never done that. You've never gone I've never camping. been camping. No. See, when you say that, it makes me think... We should go camping sometime. I know. My but hus- I don't feel like you feel that way. I, you know, my husband wants to go camping and I'm just like, that sounds like the worst. Does this, can we go glamping? Like, is there, can we go to a cabin? Is that. That's not camping. Well, it's close though. Cause you're outside kind of, you know. <laughs> Except you're not. You're in a cabin. Well, you're not in the city. Isn't that the point? So, like, are you kind of camping when you're just in your house? <laughs> I mean, if you're near a forest, <laughs> if you can see the stars, I feel like you're camping, <laughs> right? No, I feel like that's true. I need so you. We to- just have de- different definitions of camping. <laughs> I need you to come with us. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I will. Oh, I would love that. That would be awesome. Sounds terrifying. <laughs> I'm not mm, mm, not ready. Um, but you're right. I am Joy, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And Summer, I just want you to know that if you ever bought a monkey, I would be totally for it and completely <laughs> supportive. But I would recommend that you not engage in any genetic testing or modification <laughs> that would lead to the monkey gaining uh, human intelligence okay. and taking over the planet. Did you watch Dawn of the Planet of the Apes recently? <laughs> because we did too. Is that what's happening? I have not seen Dawn oh. of the Planet of the Apes. It's good. But I saw that title <laughs> somewhere and right. I was like, this is a perfect compliment. It is. No, it I don't is. know how many of them I've seen. I think I've seen obviously the old original, the original Planet of the Apes, which I have not seen. I saw I've the Marky seen... Mark one, and I love that one. Oh, okay. I think I've seen that one. It's embarrassing to admit. And I've seen the one with James Franco. Okay, well, there's been three Several more. There's been then. three new ones. There yeah. was James Franco, and then it was guy from the bowling movie and Hunger Games, Harrelson, Woody bowling Harrelson. Okay. Oh wait, no, no, that was the last one. I don't know. We're off. Okay. Um. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Right. Get a monkey. Right. Don't mess with it. Right. Just love it yep. as a pet. Right. And as an amazing creature. And don't genetically test it. Right. Got it. Well, I was actually thinking about, so I, I did a count for you this morning <laughs> and 
I feel like as I was doing this count, I was like, this is like the this is Joy's worst nightmare count. This is oh, like I know not a count I should be doing. But um, so right, everybody knows now that I got married because I have a new last name. Right. And so some people were like, tell us everything there is to know about him. And I'm just like, I'm so glad he's not on Facebook because the poor guy would just get like Facebook stalked endlessly. Um, and I'm just glad that you can't stalk him <laughs> because poor guy. Um, so what I will tell you, though, is that um, he has a great beard and um, I married him. <laughs> that's, that's the information you guys get. He's very funny and he likes camping. He likes camping. Mm -hmm. It's like his only, the only bad thing about him, really, is that he wants <laughs> me to go camping. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> and camping with children, we have four children. Right. Like, what? Except they have so much fun. Camping is about being filthy Ugh. and outside. This is the, which is my that's two least favorite thing. Kids' favorite thing is to be filthy and outside. I can't handle it. Does that make me a kid? Um, a little bit. A kid at heart. <laughs> it's enough for me that my two-year-old, and how is January too, by the way? Seriously. My two-year-old goes outside and plays in the dirt. And I'm just like dying inside. Like, Why do you like that dirt on you? Stop playing in the dirt. <laughs> then she comes in with it on her face and I'm just like, I can't handle this. <laughs> There's dirt everywhere. So I don't know. I read recently that orderliness is a personality trait often uh, associated with being conservative oh interesting so See, the funny thing is i don't mind i don't mind camping or being you know like not showering well you like it outside yeah and i like it outside but i'm also like i really like my house to be clean right so you're just so i have weirdo. this weird well and that's like where i fall on every personality spectrum it's weird, just like right in the middle in a weird place <laughs> Right. Right in the middle. I am totally a middle person. I just fall right in the middle of every single thing Whatever. you can think of. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. No. Um, so, right. The count. So, yeah, the okay. count. So, I got married um, and he has a great beard and he's really smart and he likes camping and that's what you guys get to know. <laughs> and you don't get to stalk him on Facebook. <laughs> and anyway, so I have a five-hour commute to the studio now. So, I just want you guys to know that um, every time you hear my voice. I've put in 10 hours of driving for you. Right. And I love it. Like, I love it. I use that. Time. I love driving too. Yeah. It's a great, it's especially great. for you. You've gained two children. Yeah. And great. I have a yeah. son now, but there's like a lot, there's a lot going on. Right. And so a drive for you. I mean, I'm sure there'll be days where you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but the first 45 minutes of the drive when it's 5 a.m. I feel that right, a little yeah. bit. And like, but it's kind of like you get to it's listen great. to books and yeah. sermons and stuff like that. Yeah. And this morning, yeah. I mean, the first, the 5 a.m. like wake up is not the best. And this morning it was like raining and windy and I was not into it. And I was like trying to be like, you got this. You're a road warrior. Everything's great. And then the great magical thing happened of I crossed state lines and I got into Arizona. And it was like... This, I mean, literally, I crossed the state line and like the skies cleared and the rain stopped. That's what happens when you get in Arizona. And the sun came like out and I rain. had to turn on my air conditioning. <laughs> and 
I could smell like it was raining. And right. I, I use air Ooh, quotes desert rain. because it by rain, I mean, it was sunny and occasionally there was like droplets on my window right. and it smelled amazing. And that I just creosote y'all. I just felt it. You know, I'm just Have like, we gone to the count yet. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting to the count. You guys, I'm taking you on a little you guys, trip. Just come with me. This is hard because we went from basically seeing each other on a consistent basis <laughs> right. Right. seeing each other once every two weeks. Right. And <laughs> right. Let me paint this. Picture it's hard because I wanted you to be there, which is right. how I got my camping idea. Right. Join us. Okay. Come along. So you cross state lines in Ari- into Arizona, which is the best day ever. And I'll tell you why. Because not only did the skies clear <laughs> and the sun came out and the rain smelled amazing, but now you can go 75 instead of 65. Yeah, girl. Um, because welcome to Arizona. We have guns. We have guns. It's hot. It's hot. And we can go fast. You can. Everyone's going 80 <laughs> minimum. You, you know, I come into the state and I'm just like, boom, set that cruise control at 80. Turn the air conditioner on. This is great. And I'm just like coasting up and down mountains all right. morning. And it's magical. And yeah, I got through like. A two-hour study on the section of the of God's law that we're gonna talk about in a little bit, and I <clears throat> got to listen to. I'm like listening to the new beautiful eulogy album, and like the desert is beautiful, and I'm just like, this is amazing. This is like one of the best things ever. And of course, I'm in a rental car because none of my cars could make this drive, right. and so like the rental cars like got fancy Bluetooth. It was great. I love the drive. Um, so thank you, Patreon supporters, for making this happen. Right. Um, because, yeah, it's, it is a, quite a bit of a time investment to get yeah. here now. Well, but we've anyway. always said that religions can't happen without Patreon, but especially right. now. Especially now. Now that can. a commute is involved yes. across state lines. Yes. So anyway, I decided I was like, you know, as I'm driving here, obviously, I'm thinking about what we're going to talk about. I'm thinking about I get to be at the studio today, which is just like a treat for me. And surprise, I've lived in Arizona my whole life and I've never seen a real tumbleweed. And I oh, saw really? two today. Two giant, I mean, like we're talking when car- like cartoonists draw tumbleweeds, like they weren't being dramatic. No. Because these tumbleweeds were like the size of the hood of my car. Like <laughs> I could not have driven over them. Like I had to dodge tumbleweeds. I feel like um, I need to mention... And I think we should link it mm. somewhere in connection with this episode because mm-hmm. everyone needs to see this. But there is a video. Actually, maybe they don't. I think there might be cursing in it. Oh, no. Um, but it's a video of a girl that is terrified of tumbleweeds. Oh, yeah. And she's driving at night through the desert <laughs> and there are 60 tumbleweeds attached to her car. And she <laughs> makes her boyfriend get out and take them off. And she's like freaking out. Yeah. Like legitimate fear. Like she's afraid she's that they're going to attack her. I, after seeing these tumbleweeds this morning, I don't know that I entirely blame her. Like to be completely <laughs> honest, because when it started happening. Add that to the list of reasons not to go camping, guys. Seriously. There are rabid packs of tumbleweeds, tumbleweeds. Yes. that control the forest. I had to dodge two tumbleweeds. I'm serious. They were huge. Like, if I had run into these things, I would have been paying the rental car company for damage. Like, oh, wow. They were huge. And I, I seriously had a moment. I freaked out. And I was so upset that you guys weren't there to experience it with me and to see it. Because I feel like I'm being dramatic, but they were seriously huge. Huge. When you saw them, yeah. was there a noise that went 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. It happened. And I was just, it, it was so Arizona, you guys. It was so Arizona. Anyway, I saw six pieces of roadkill. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. Six. Um, I don't know what the correct term is either. Pieces. I don't know. Yeah, pieces isn't really the right word, but whatever. I was just like, I'm going to start counting because I need to share my drive with joy. And then like after the third dead coyote i saw i was like you know i don't know if like telling joy about dead coyotes is really like her jam like it it just make me sad i know my dad used to just tell me that they were sleeping (laughs) oh dad i know he knew i didn't believe him but it was just it made everyone feel better just for a second you can pretend they're just sleeping Mm. with their insides on the outside (laughs) I'm sorry. I I probably crossed a line by saying that last part. <laughs> who would I be if I didn't cross? Okay, well, lines, crossing lines, state lines, state lines. I was yeah. <clears throat> anyway, okay, okay. So yeah. Anyway, um, I've been awake for a long time, <laughs> and I really enjoyed my drive. She is so woke, guys. I am just yeah. This is like my eighth coffee today <laughs> and i know all of the bathrooms along the stop like the drive like good here's the next one in this mm-hmm. weird little town oh um okay how about another sidetrack this tell me if this is a compliment because i don't believe that i got a compliment this morning but maybe i did so it was like eight o'clock in the morning i'm in the middle of the desert there's a stop i was gonna get gas go to the bathroom and i'm walking back to my car and this Old guy was like, this is, these were his words. You look really pretty for this time of the morning. <laughs> That's not a compliment, right? No, I think it is. What does that mean? Because it means that for that time of the morning, mm-hmm. he probably usually sees people who have been traveling for long periods of time. Okay. That are tired uh-huh. and disheveled mm. and dirty. Okay. And so he thought, wow, this girl does not look like that. (laughs) See, because my first thought was, what if it was two in the afternoon? Not pretty then? This is not a two in the afternoon pretty that I have? Like what? That's, that must, I mean, he said for this time of the morning. So that was all his statement was, I think. Okay. Especially if it was a man. I'm almost certain that he just meant exactly what he said. (laughs) Okay, stop reading into it somewhere. Just stop it. Now, if it was a girl, you could be like, that was not a compliment. (laughs) Okay, okay, so we're deciding based on gender what this might have meant. Great. This is what I know of the genders. Got it. Just going to go for it. Okay, got it. Right. Well, there we are. So we're on the topic of men (laughs) or women. I don't know. Or gender or identity. I don't know. Um, So a couple weeks ago... Let's get to our topic. Yes. So a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a hashtag on Twitter and on Facebook mm-hmm. that went viral and it was the Me Too hashtag. And so I wrote about, uh, I, I didn't write about it. I kind of wrote about it. I wrote a blog about it, kind of. Um, and so the hashtag was uh, this actress, what was her name? Alyssa, was it Alyssa Milano? I'd have to go back and look at my blog. I think it may have been. 
I, keep, I don't know exactly where it all I get her started. and Rose McGowan confused. Okay. Which is weird. But anyway. Actually, you know what? I think it was Rose McGowan. Was it Rose McGowan? Mm-hmm. Or Alyssa? I can't remember. I, I just remember seeing I a lot of pictures of her. I can pull up my blog and find out. But anyway. Um, so she encouraged everyone basically to use the hashtag me too. And she said to use it if you had also experienced like her. Um, it was Alyssa Milano. Oh, it was. Okay. She said, if you've been sexually harassed or assaulted, write me too as a reply to this tweet. And so it went viral. Um, yeah. And everywhere you went, you would see people writing me too because, you know, they're saying that they had also been sexually harassed or assaulted. And so this came um, around the same time as everything about Harvey Weinstein came out. And basically, if you have not lived under a rock, then you know that we're just like in the middle of what's sexual assault Watergate. It's yeah. It's everywhere. I mean, it's it's since the Me Too hashtag, it has only there have only been more people accused, more victims coming forward. It's, it's increased. It's, the situation yeah. has just grown. It's like reaching a fever pitch right. and you cannot open social media or read the news right. or it's in my inbox, things I'm subscribed to. Yeah. Like, it's just everywhere. If you are a person. You've heard of this. You know why <laughs> we're doing this episode today. <laughs> right. So when I read Me Too, and I can't remember if I read these hashtags before I knew about the Weinstein case or not, which was also kind of the opening of the floodgates. Right. Um, I mean, it was like, it was devastating. And I said this in my blog just to see people that I know um, saying me too, because I didn't, you know, I didn't know. Right. It's not something that you know. Right. You may know a person very well, but that would be one part of them that you may not know. Right. And so in most of us, obviously, like if you've experienced sexual assault or been harassed, like it's not something you um, feel super comfortable writing about on social media. Um, I would say the majority of people don't. Right. Um, And so a lot of friends that I only know them through social media or whatever, like to see them posting that hashtag was just like really painful because it's just like the punch in the gut when someone tells you like, this right. is something I've experienced. Well, and it's especially for um, for people who were who are victims of that. Um, I get that it's totally a can. It's a concise way to say this happened without having to go into detail into detail <laughs> and right. like explain to everyone right. exactly what happened, which is a not a thing that many victims want to do. Right. Totally get it. Right. And so my concern with the hashtag, at least for Christians, was that I don't think Me Too is enough. So Well, and Me Too isn't. It's just it's not just Me Too. Me Too is representative of a a larger thing that's happening. Right. Um Right. And obviously, um you can employ a hashtag and not write a thesis around it, and I understand that. Right. Um but what I didn't want, what I don't want for people who have experienced this is for essentially me too to just have a period at the end of it. Right. Like, oh, okay, me too. Well, and then what? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because when you've been harmed, um, especially sexually, 
um, that's not the end of the story. It's not like it happened and now it's over and I don't think about it. It doesn't affect me or, you know what I mean? Like, it's not me too. (laughs) Like, oh, I also had that candy bar for Halloween. Right. Okay. Like, this is something. It's much more serious than that. And so... Basically, I just wrote a blog and said, like, I just wanted to encourage Christians to remember that we live in a fallen world and that God sees us. And um, specifically, I thought of the story of Hagar in Genesis when she was just, I mean, treated horribly and she was abused and she ran away and God went after her. And so, like, in her pain and her turmoil, he literally chased her down in the desert and he blessed her and he um, worked to restore her, essentially. Right. And so Hagar, once that happened and she she understood that um, the Lord hadn't left her, that she had tried to run away and run away from this horrible situation, which was, you know, it was physical, it was emotional, it was spiritual, it was all of these things, which sexual abuse is, right. affects all of these things. Um, she called God the God who sees her. And so there's comfort in that. There's comfort in knowing that you've been seen. There's comfort in knowing that um, God sees you in your pain. And so basically, I just wanted that to be an encouragement to Christians was that like, we live in a broken world and you might be able to say me too, but like God sees you and he's not, he's not leaving you alone in this and there's there's no instance in your life it whatsoever like sexual abuse or otherwise where god doesn't see you and god's not dealing with you right um if you're saved right well and um just to clarify according to god's law if you're not saved and you were sexually assaulted you're not under any sort of judgment for that. Right. You're not covered um, by Christ for the collective of your sins, but that is not... Right. You're declared completely innocent. Right. In that situation. Right. It and is we'll not go into that your case fault. law. Yeah. I know you have a lot of... Yeah. yeah. So I was really surprised um, to some of their response to my blog because essentially... I just tried to offer this hope um, that I think is a very biblical hope. I think that we see over and over that God, um, he's a loving, kind, gracious God who cares for his children. He cares for all of creation in a certain way, but for his children in a specific way. And that there is hope for a believer um, in these scenarios. And so a lot of the response, and I'm, I'm seeing this both at the Christian level and just all over society as well. And I think Christians are adopting it. And that's why I want to talk about this. So a lot of the response to my blog, until something like what's happened in the last few weeks happens, you don't realize kind of your perceptions or what you bring to the table. Right. Yeah. You you don't, you don't realize that maybe um, as Christians that we have accepted, not all, but some, worldly uh prescriptions and standard for for uh for Mm -hmm. sexual assault right and so a lot of the response that i got to the article was and it was meant to be an encouragement of course right was well you don't get to say that 
Right. You don't get to say. Um, it was like some people felt that I was saying, well, you're a believer, so you're not going to feel the pain. God takes it away. Or you're a believer, so let it go. It doesn't matter. Right. Or you're a believer, so like, who are you to say that this is how people should respond? And right. it was just like such a crazy ditch jump that really mirrors kind of the ditch jump, I think, that the world has right. on this Well, because it's all about the protection of someone who's been, uh, who's experienced a violation. Right. So, but then you're not actually protecting them. Right. Which well, we'll and our, get into. our society hasn't protected. Right. Um, our, our, since 1964, our America hasn't protected um, a, a rape survivor by killing the person who raped them. Really? Since 1964. Was that the last time? Yeah. Wow. That ended in a non-murder. Wow. Where the woman was not killed at the end of it. Wow. Um. So, I mean, very few people are, in statistically, mm-hmm. very few people are put to death in this country. But um, I think in 1977, it was deemed in some Supreme Court case, I'd have to look up the names, like whoever v. whoever. Right. Um, that the a, a death penalty for a rape that didn't end in murder was Couldn't considered be. like cruel. Wow. And over the top. Wow. So we don't we have a we have a society right now that that um is seeking to protect the victim so intensely, but they're doing it in the well, wrong way. Well they don't ways. have the means to do it. Right. Because essentially I don't think we can look to a culture who has um who doesn't care for marriage, who hates marriage, who despises marriage, who despises uh, sex in general. Like, right. there is no... Oh, by the way, maybe we should put this little caveat in here. This is probably not a good show for your kids to listen right. to. Um, <laughs> okay. Woo, right. Because there's some serious stuff going on in this right. episode. So make your own Yeah, call you can there. make your call, but um, this is probably not the most, like, under 18 appropriate. Sure. And we're going to go through some biblical texts on how... Um, God's standards in terms of how to treat sexual assault and that is in the Bible like just FYI if your kids read Deuteronomy they're going to run into this but anyway so the culture we need I'm here because we need to not emulate a culture who hates God's standards of sexual ethics and we need to not look to them for any kind of cue whatsoever and how to deal with, I would say, basically anything right. sexual. Because they've rejected God and because um, in the world that we live in, there is very little making whole of the victim of any crime, but specifically this crime. There's not a lot of restitution. It's more about um, the apology of the bad guy. He right. needs to feel bad. He needs to be reformed. Right. But that was never, that is in nowhere, is that in God's law. What did you say to me last night about the point of God's law and the victim? Because that needs to be said. And I should have written it down and hold I on, I'll it. have it right here. So this, this, when Joy said this to me, and this was like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. So we, we believe, by the way, when we come into this conversation that, um, God's law is not this like 
weird thing that happened in the Old Testament that has nothing to do with us today. Um, so our presupposition when we come to the table in this discussion is that uh, there is no such thing outside of, of justice. There is no true justice that can be defined outside of God because God is just. He is the determiner of what is just. Right. And so we have been given in the Old Testament um, standards, uh, ethical standards, moral standards, um, written down for us that are very, very important. The problem a lot of us have is that we'll read these texts, we'll read Deuteronomy, we'll read Leviticus, and we only have a modern mindset through which to translate what's happening. Right. And so instead of doing the hard work of trying to understand an ancient text, which I did call hard work for a reason. Yes. Um, we'll, you know, we'll look at it and go, I don't know how to, I don't know how to read this. I don't know how to understand this. And so, for example. So I will react emotionally. Right. At, just like the rest of the postmodern world. Right. So if you could go to, if you talk to any atheist, um, one of the favorite things they put in their back pocket is something we're going to talk about today, um, which is found in Deuteronomy 22. And that is that they will say, well, uh, the Bible says that if a man rapes a woman, then she has to marry him. That's not what it says. Right. Um, but I can understand. I can be sympathetic. That's value. Yeah. Um, that's also not, um, that's not a law. That's a case law given to us by God. So a yeah. case law is an instance which happened when a, when, when a judgment was made and we can take the principle from that specific instance that actually happened um, and pull from it a principle of how we are to live. So um, just so you know, case law is used in our current law today. <laughs> case law is a very, very legitimate thing. If you think I'm doing this to just defend an old book, that's not the case. We use case law all the time, even in our current broken justice society. <laughs> right. right. And so... I, you said to me the other night that the point in God's law was never to make the perpetrator sorry, but to make the victim whole. Yeah. So the focus in God's law was when a crime was committed, that the following actions that ensued were for the making whole of the victim. Right. And so in our society today, we're so used to thinking of justice, meaning that we make the perpetrator sorry. Right. And so it was really interesting. I was I was at um, I was at In and Out in a rare, childless moment with my husband, and we were talking because um, he's a total nerd and he studies this stuff too. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, if you think about it, um, in today's society, so if somebody breaks into your house and steals your TV, right? Mm -hmm. um, what we call justice isn't justice because essentially. Uh, if that person goes to jail and serves time for this theft, you still don't have a TV. Mm -hmm. And now you're footing the bill for his food, shelter, clothing. So essentially right. you've been thieved from twice. Right. Well, and your homeowner's insurance <laughs> right. pays for the new TV, which you pay for the homeowner's insurance. Right. So you buy the new TV. And, and you, you pay, pay for, this person for the to person eat. to go whatever they need while they're in prison. Right. Or so, jail. Right. So we're also coming to the table with the presupposition that our idea of justice today is is severely lacking. There's no, I'm telling you guys, there is no instance of justice in God's law that is about the bad guy 
feeling bad. Right. It is about restitution being made and the victim of whatever crime it may be being made whole, as whole as possible. Now, we completely recognize that sexual assault is different than your TV being stolen. Right. Um, you that is p- please don't no please don't. i'm just explaining right i was just <laughs> um, explaining our modern case idea law. that was a case law it right. was an example of something that you pull a principle from so right. and we all tend to operate because we live in 2017 and this is the society we live in we right. all tend to operate off of this idea of this is what justice is right is trying to make the perpetrator sorry right. but the whole purpose in if in god's law from beginning to end is making the victim whole right which is not what we focus on at all right well we, in, in an instance in god's law where you are purely the victim of a crime and you have done nothing wrong uh, many times in the case law it says specific it doesn't just say and the bad guy receives this punishment it says the victim receives no punishment because they have done nothing wrong. So the thing is, so let's let's clarify this here. Okay. When you are the victim of something, does that mean if you're the victim of something and you are not at fault at all, why do you need to be made whole again? Right. Well, because essentially in in um, in both murder and in rape there is a marring of the image of God. Right. Um, And so in those two cases, that is why the perpetrator is put to death. Right. Because that's considered the... That's how much of a violation it is. Right. Of... Of a person. Of a person. Right. That that murder and rape are treated treated with an equal punishment. Right. That's how seriously it's taken. Right. Yeah. And so now in terms, so I want, I just want to make this super, super clear and yeah. we will. Yes. <laughs> but um, being violated does not mean that you are less of a person in God's law. Right. You are innocent, but you have been the victim of a crime. Right. Um, so it's not about making you whole because now you're half a person. Right. And it's up to that bad guy to make you a whole person again. Via their death. Right. Right. The concept is that the act itself that this person committed is so atrocious yeah. and so disgusting in yeah. the eyes of God that right. the only way they can actually repay that debt is with their yes. life. That's yeah. how serious it is. Yeah. And so this isn't, I think you said it to me. It's not a simple like, well, an eye for an eye. Because right. then the that's message. Not what that was, that's not what that meant. It didn't right. mean if someone steals your TV, you get to steal their TV. What it meant was if someone steals your TV, that person pays for your TV. Right. It means that the punishment for the crime is suitable for the crime that was committed. Yes. Correct. So that's essentially what it means is that in a case of rape or murder, mm-hmm. the only acceptable punishment for that crime would be death. Right. Right. And so do you want to take us to Deuteronomy 22? You want me to start this? <laughs> Let's go for it. Are you starting in 23? Oh, I was starting in 22 at 13. Because, well, and here's... Oh, no. I mean 22. Sorry. 22. 13. 13. Okay. That's it. Oh, okay. I was talking about 22, 23. Okay. Oh. 22, 20, 13. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay. So... 
let's start with the let let's put down our 2017 eyes right. and our 2017 standards and and understand at the the outset that um marriage up until i mean i would say pro- arguably the 1800s was when the concept of marriage uh began to have a concept of like this it's it's shifted from being like a covenant that included romance to being just romance. And so at this point, I think in our right. society, uh, marriage is something that you do to try to make yourself happy and to fulfill your life. Whereas for like all of human history, <laughs> marriage has been about the family. It has been about covenanting with God. It has been about a, prop- a continuing on of the culture. It has been about, I mean, just think about how raising generations of humans affects cultures and topples nations and builds nations and marriage has never been this like it's always been a societal institution that god created and had standards for and so marriage is not a contract number one between you and your spouse and the state marriage has always been a covenant between you and god right and your spouse right and so which if that doesn't seem more serious yeah (laughs) like you covenanted with god right in this scenario which yeah to keep in mind he has a covenant with us by which we're saved or not right that is how serious god takes his covenant right there you go right and so in deuteronomy 13 we have these different case laws um and and this is concerning sexual immorality yes and um, when you read them, you might be a little like, <laughs> like, it's so intense. Like, let's not pretend it's not intense. Right. Um, I think just because we have mod- a modern lens doesn't make it intense. I think it's always been intense. And I think it's always been supposed to be intense. It's supposed to be serious. So anyway, uh, starting at verse 13, it says, if any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And this is where I'll pause to let you guys know that if you ever see the elders at the city of the gate, you can know that like our idea of a trial has that, happened that means the trial is happening yes yeah. um, they didn't just like automatically drag you out to the city <laughs> right to the to the edge of the city and yes. kill you the elders of the city at the gate they're the judges essentially yes um the girl's father shall say to the elders i gave my daughter to this man for a wife but he turned against her and behold he has charged her with shameful deeds saying i did not find your daughter a virgin but this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity and they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him and they shall find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel and she shall remain his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. So this is serious for a lot of reasons. I think the big one I want to highlight for the sake of continuing to move on through this, because there's a lot to say um, is that uh, this false allegation against her was treated very seriously, and she was given a very, very special protection, right. which was that he cannot divorce her all his days. Right. And so this isn't a way of 
shaming the woman and being like, well, now she's stuck with this jerk. <laughs> right. Um, this was a very special protection because also under God's law, this man also has to meet all kinds of other standards of what his life looks like in regards to the temple, what his life looks like in regards to the children. And she can never lose in this case. Um, what's the word? A a an inheritance. Right. This is a special protection for her right. that we have no category for. I understand in our modern language. He was language. the accuser. And because there was a trial, they established that it was, he was falsely accusing her right. of that. It protected the victim, right. which can also sometimes be the victim of a false accusation. Right. So you will see that a lot, especially regarding sexual immorality. Right. Um, just because it tends to be a more private act that is reliant on eyewitness testimony or right. things like that. Right. So in this case, um, this is a special protection for women. And I want to highlight that because... A lot of times we can come to these verses with eyes that don't see it right. that way. Because she made they made her stay with a, a man who hates her right. forever. Right. Well, also he's he is he's being punished and she's being protected. Right. Those are the big two things to take there out of go. the yeah. the case. Um. And then here we go. If the charge is true that the girl was not found a virgin, then they shall bring her out the bring out the girl to the doorway of her father's house and the men of her city shall stone her to death because she has committed an act of folly in Israel by playing the harlot in his father's house. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. So this is how seriously adultery was taken. This is how seriously sexual immorality was taken. Right. Um, there's also an element in this section of um, essentially another focus of God's law was uh, to protect victims and to purge evil. So evildoers, <laughs> they didn't get to stay. Um, whether they were men or women. Whether they were men or women. Right. And so if you're doing these things, um, there's going to be punishment that fits the crime. Right. Um, and then if we continue on, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lays who lay with the woman and the woman, thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. So again, same thing. We have a case of adultery. You're both going to die. Right. Again, this yeah. is how serious this yeah. sin is taken. Well, um, and so now it's almost as though there is a pre-written response to our immediate reaction to that. Because in those verses that we just read, oh, well, there are instances of clear adultery. What happens mm -hmm. if there is an assault or someone says that they were not consenting? Right. And then we have... 23. You 23. go ahead. Um, if a betrothed virgin, virgin and a man meet... <sighs> Oh, sorry. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city trial and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city and the man, because he violated his his neighbor's wife. Um, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So an engagement at the time, very simply, was that you were essentially already married. Right. Engagements were not what we think of them right. today. Yeah. Um. 
And so that seems kind of crazy, right? Um, seems easy to misunderstand. But the point of that, this case law was regarding um, an adultery, not a sexual assault. Okay. So Explain she that. didn't she didn't cry out. What it means by she was in the city, it means that there were people all around. And in this case, there were eyewitnesses that saw it happen. Right. And we have to remove ourselves from our current idea of a city because when we think of being in the city, lots of things happen in the city that we don't hear. Right. But their cities were not like our cities. Right. There were not millions of people. They were very small. Right. They didn't have windows like we have now. Like right. we could scream in here and no one outside would hear us. Right. But that's not how it was back then. Right. Because in this time, if you were being based off of how it was, if you were in the city and you were being assaulted and someone was watching you, it infers that there are eyewitness testimony. There's eyewitness testimony. Someone that saw this happening, saw this man and this woman sleeping together and she didn't call out. And and the then the concept of, of someone, if someone was screaming in the city. Yeah. You, you, and there were a, people standing right there. You're going to hear it. You're going to know right. what's happening. Yes. It's not secret. Right. So what essentially what that it w- it is deemed because of that and all the evidence collected, but because she didn't cry out, because that it's essentially being equated to consent. She knows that there's people that can see her, and she knows that if she is being assaulted, she can call out. And she didn't do those things, and so it's established that that it was, was an adulter- it yeah, was an adulterous consensual sex that they were having. Gotcha. Um, so now. Um, in uh, and that's twenty three and twenty four. Now in twenty five, we have but if the open but if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man seizes her, you're already seeing a difference in language here, mm-hmm. and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. Uh, but you shall do nothing to the young woman. She has committed no offense punishable by death. For this case is like that of a man attacking and murdering his neighbor because he met her in an open country. And though the betrothed young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. It's interesting because I'm reading from the NASB and it specifically uses the verb forces her. Right. So we have a very clear picture yeah. here. And of, what I read was ESV that says seizes, which it does not say in 23 and 24. Right. Um, so there is there is a distinction that's being made. And so that would be case law where there is an instance of rape. The woman was attacked in open country with no one around to hear her cry for help. And she's innocent for that. Um, the, the case laws, so they both provide principles for sexual immorality, which I hope that you don't think that I'm calling rape sexual immorality. It is on the part of the rapist. Right. On the person who is doing the assaulting. Right. There is no sexual immorality. It says it in the Bible that there is no sexual sexual immorality on the part of the person who was attacked. But um, neither. So in 23 and 24, the sexual immorality occurring is rape and in the, or adultery. I'm sorry. And in the following verses, it's rape. So neither woman is put to death on the basis of whether or not she cried out, but on the basis of a trial that adjudicated guilt or innocence. So um, uh, one of the, a principle that we can pull from these uh, these case laws, these ca- these examples, 
are that the woman always is permitted to cry out without any fear of legal punishment. Right. So if you are being assaulted, mm-hmm. you are not to be considered guilty of anything. Right. When you when you cry out and say that you need help to prevent something like that from happening. Right. Right. And so that's a big this is a big huge takeaway to apply to the current climate. I think right. in the current pain and emotions and feelings around this conversation we're having at a national level um, is that in verse 26 when it says, but you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. So what we need to take away from that, and I think the big kind of application um from this and comfort from it because the more I start to study passages like this, the more I'm just like so thankful to God. Like how beautiful is it um, that he has protected women in this way, that he's protected not just women, but anyone who's been abused in this way by declaring them not guilty. Right. It's the same kind of declaration of, you know, when he justifies us and, from our sins. Now, of course, we're guilty of our sins. Right. But he's saying in this case, there was no sin because right. this actually applies, like you maybe mentioned earlier, this this declaration is not dependent on your relationship with Christ. Right. Because whether you're a believer and un- or an unbeliever, um, this is not your shame. Right. This was not something shameful that you did. Right. And you cannot be held accountable for it. Before God. Before God, which is a huge, God big, sees huge you. deal. He declares you innocent right. here. So, so this is where it's interesting. Um, and it might seem like we're not going to have the answers to all the objections you're thinking in your head right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry. Um, we are declared innocent and without shame in that instance. If that happens to you before God, you have done nothing wrong. Right. But are there consequences, not for the, for the, the victim, but do you still feel something over that event? Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, so what happens when someone violates you in that way, either sexually or through murder? Um, it's not the same mm-hmm. as um, me doing something wrong and feeling shame for it because I feel really bad. Now, that is something that we all do. We all have asked for forgiveness over something but continue to feel shame. So this is different. Because you're not guilty of right. a sin in this instance. And this is purely an instance of you being sinned against in a way that should require the person who did the sinning to die. Right. So it's obviously very serious. Right. And incredibly heartbreaking. And it's something that affects people for their entire life. Right. Um, in some way or another. Mm-hmm. So this is where... We have to make distinctions in what the world says 
right. about who a rape victim is. Right. Um, and who God says they are. Right. Does it take away the heartbreak and the shame that you feel when you're violated in such a way just because God says that you are, um, that you're innocent in that situation? Well, nothing's immediate. Right. No. Right. No, absolutely not. It's not, it's not a, it's not a bandaid, but the, we have to live in light of reality, not in light of our feelings. And I think we probably don't say that to victims enough because it can sound like a discount, a discounting of their feelings and of their emotions and of the seriousness of it. But I would argue that in order to actually love someone in any situation, no matter what, you must call them to live in light of who their creator says they are right, and not who their feelings say they are. And there so, is no other instance where you are purely the victim of a crime that we would not remind someone of who they are before God. Right. There is no other. No. So it's like we we've would taken argue. A, we've taken sort of a special route on this one. Right. On, on sexual assault because it's so serious and it's so emotional. Right. Um, and there is there there is a part of it um, that, you know, if you've experienced it, mm-hmm. that you feel like you will never, ever, ever be the same person right. again. And you do. There is a legitimacy to feeling like you were sinned against in such a horrifying way that there there is a reason why especially in our current culture that you would feel like something has been taken from right. you and that you have been made dirty or disgusting right there are reasons why you would think that right but for us to say well because that's so serious and it's so horrible and it's so emotional we should not attempt to remind the person who they are before god which is innocent and nothing has been taken nothing right nothing has been taken god does not see you any differently from that happening correct your value cannot be that's and and you brought that up the other day is that a lot of the conversation is around like getting your power back when well what that is saying is that you have been made less than and you have something taken from you that needs to be given back but god's already made you whole by declaring you not guilty yeah And so I think about it this way. We would argue that the best way to love um, someone who believes that they're transgender, right? So someone who who is convicted deep down 100% that they are a man when they're actually a woman or they're a woman when they were born a man. We believe that in order to love them well, we are not going to just also live as though they are the opposite gender. We are going to encourage them and we're not going to deny that it's a problem. We're not going to deny gonna, just that be- those feelings are real. Just believe this and it'll all go away. All those feelings. Right. They'll all go away. We're not well, denying all of that. Is it appropriate to say that there are God experienced God experiences emotions. He experiences grief and he's glorified Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, when a sin is done against you, mm-hmm. when you experience an assault or when you experience 
the death of someone that you love. There is nothing in the Bible that says grief is inappropriate or a sin or unfaithful. Sure, Jesus felt sorrow. That's right. why he can sympathize with us. Right. So there is, a, we're not saying that you don't feel anything, that all right. feelings right. are and emotions are wrong. Right. But the best way to love someone who is who is experiencing the full effects of the fall, perhaps in something, I'm just using, you can insert anything here, but right. essentially when someone is trying to deny how they've been made in the image of God, to love them well, we would argue that you need to encourage them to live in light of their creator, right. to live in light of who God says that they are. Right. Um, and address their feelings. Don't avoid grief. Right. Don't, Don't avoid it. Yeah. Deal, deal with it. Don't just pretend it's not there. Right. You're going to, they need it. This sin needs to be dealt with. This confusion needs to be dealt with. Right. This whatever feeling you're holding on to that's contrary to God, who God says you are. We're not saying that feeling isn't real. We're saying that it can be sin and needs right. to be dealt with right. because it's denying the creator. It's denying who God says you are. Right. So it we can't take our biblical lenses off in these moments of when we're trying to love people who've been hurt. Yeah. And we need to encourage people to live in light of who God says that they are. And we do this, every single one of us, if you've never been assaulted, if you've never dealt with transgenderism, every single right. one of us can identify to this in that uh, we constantly fail to live in light of who God says that we are. Right. So and, God and, and many times for every single one of us, it's not just because we've done something bad. It's because something bad has been done to us and we are the innocent party. Right. So we all experiences, we all experience instances of this. Right. Um, that being said, I feel that it's, it's very important to, to say that, um, you demanding that someone meet your burden of proof by having experienced assault is not appropriate, A, because if they have, they don't have to tell you. Right. <laughs> you can't, you can't demand, if you're, we're talking objective truth here, if we're talking about the word of God and that is your sole foundation, then, and if they're speaking that, if they're speaking from his word, there is there is no um, qualifications for you being more truthful or less truthful when it comes to using God's word. Um, and you shouldn't make someone tell you if they've been abused that doesn't want to tell you. Does that make sense? Right. Well, and I've, that's happened to me a lot as I've attempted to talk about this on the internet <laughs> um, is that there's this assumption made that because I have the view that I have that I can't possibly be speaking from experience. And I just find it really hypocritical of the worldly message of protecting, never victim shaming or never forcing right. someone to share if they don't want to share. It's like, well, if that's your standard, then why you don't get to go around and assume everyone else's life and right. you don't get to do that in any arena right but the point that you're making is valid and we've made this point before in other discussions is that and it comes up in the topic of intersectionality which is i don't have to experience everything you've experienced to come al alongside you in your grief what i have to do to be able to come alongside you in your grief well 
is to also be a believer. Right. That's actually the right. only litmus test. Well, and of course, of course, there are people that will be able to understand you better. Sure. That will have experienced similar things to you. Sure. But none of us share the same life. No. And it goes so, back to the fact that, and I've, I've, like I said, I talked about this before, that some of the best advice I've gotten and some of my worst grief has come from people who have never experienced that grief. Right. but are firmly grounded in scripture. Right. They're so well grounded in scripture that they are able to come alongside me in whatever scenario and give me the best encouragement and love and support despite never having experienced that specific right. thing. But it's because they know the Lord, because they love me, and because they know scripture right. that and they're it capable of that. And it doesn't make them experiencing that doesn't make God's word more true. Right, right. And again, you shouldn't operate on the assumption that because a person disagrees with you about this topic, that they have not been right. abused. You shouldn't assume that. Right. And you also shouldn't demand that they tell you either because right. they don't have to. Right. Absolutely. And if that's your standard of proof, then, and you're a Christian, right. I'm just telling you right now to rethink some of that. Right. And I mean, on the topic of a standard of proof, I think this should be mentioned um and again i have mentioned this before and it's for some reason there's this 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 ditch there's this we're taking off our lenses of looking at victims rightly when we make this ditch and uh deuteronomy also says that um judges shall inquire diligently and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do as his brother, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So what we see here is that God takes false allegations very, very, very seriously. Well, and he considers you the victim of a crime if you have false allegations brought against you. Right, if someone falsely accuses you, you are now the victim. Right. And the whole purpose of the law, again, we'll say it again, is to make the victim whole. Therefore, the perpetrator, which is the false accuser, is going to get the same punishment that they wanted to happen to you. Right. And so... Now, are we, we are not saying that... We are not saying to use all this information to immediately go out and assess everyone who's ever told you they're a victim of assault right. to determine whether they are guilty or not. Right. And we are not making any specific references to anyone making false accusations or true accusations. That is not what's happening here. All we are saying is that you're, you are lying to yourself if you think that no one has ever falsely accused someone of a sexual assault. Right. Um, Summer and I have experienced a very real instance of that. We've had it. Ha- we've had someone um, tell us that they were assaulted, and then that that story that they told us was not true. Right. Um, I have seen it many times in my own personal life. It happens. Yes. And in that instance, the person who who was falsely accused is the victim, and the in the. God's law, the trial that happens, what he requires in terms of evidence and eyewitness testimony is there to show and reveal who the victim is right, and make them whole. Yes. And so we see in both Numbers and in Deuteronomy that in these, in 
legally in these cases in order to put someone to death there had to be two or three witnesses right and so that is important to remember because something similar is echoed in the new testament when we're told to never accept a charge against an elder without two or three witnesses so um when we talk about this isn't and again this is difficult to discuss because uh, the assumption is then made that well now you're saying that every person who claims to be be a victim is a liar that's not what we're saying no no reporting reporting someone to someone that you know or to your pastor is different than bringing legal action and if some lay person who's listening to this right now if your friend tells you they were assaulted you don't need to require right it's not like oh okay well Joy, I um, I'm not going to listen to you talk to me about this issue because you don't have two or three witnesses here. Right. That's no, of course not, that's not that's, that's not, not the what context we're of this at all. No, we are saying that it is unjust because God says it's unjust to put someone on trial for these crimes without two or three witnesses. Right. And we will say, get very specific that in these cases and in, in sexual assault, sexual abuse cases that I, we absolutely would consider DNA evidence, digital yeah. evidence, video if anything, evidence. If as anything, a the ability to provide that eyewitness testimony has become better since this case law Absolutely. Was <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because now we have all kinds of ways. I think things that can would be considered absolute witnesses to prove that this happened in a court of law. Right. And so this isn't a matter of, well, there's no one here, so nothing can happen. It's like, well, now we have all kinds of evidence available to us that isn't just a person outside right. of a person. Um, and so I would say, you know, obviously this is, this is difficult to talk about, but it's like, if, if someone came to me that I, there's nothing wrong. We're not saying there's anything wrong with believing someone who tells you this. That's not the point. Like, like if Joy came to me and was like, I saw this thing happen outside this morning, da, 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 da. I'm not going to be like, well, Joy, listen, I can't believe you because you're the only one here. Number one, I know Joy and I know that if Joy tends towards anything. It's euphemism, not hyperbole. Um, <laughs> and she's not a liar. And I can bear witness to her character. And this isn't that that's not what's happening here. So in both numbers and in Deuteronomy, in these case laws, um, the witnesses were for use in trials. Right. But I would like to say that there is kind of this fever pitch Um around allegations right now and speaking out and I'm not I'm not telling you to be cynical or gullible or to jump in either ditch. What I'm saying is that we need to uphold God's law, that we need to treat victims as if we believe that they are what God says they are, which is not guilty, not right. dirty, not all of these things. Um And then we also need to make sure that we are not um, the false accusers, that we are not um, going to be guilty of what God's of of essentially being the one that's deserving of punishment with by being a false accuser. Right. Well, and so uh, so for me, the, the first thing I wrote down when we decided that we were doing this episode among all the stuff that's going on in our world today um 
the first thing that I thought was that I wanted to tell people the thing that the world isn't saying right now because there is this focus on not shaming the victim in any way. Keep in mind, God has removed that shame. He has. I know that you still feel it, but he has removed it. Before God, you are not guilty or less or dirty or anything. This crime cannot make you that. Um, but so something that amid everything that's happening, it's not being said, is that you should report a sexual assault as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that as a demand. I'm saying that as an encouragement. Right. Um, it is a reminder right. that you are not, Yeah. You, you have no shame in it. Right. I'm not equating that. I'm t- using that in a legal sense and a before God sense. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be feeling anything right. um, resembling shame. I'm just saying right. that um, when you report sexual assault, your evidence and eyewitness testimony um, is can be used mm-hmm. to um, get justice. Again, I'm. It makes me so sad that that um, our society isn't focused on making the victim whole, and that we don't use uh, the the punishment that God would use. Uh-huh. Um, and it's. It's so, and this is, I feel people are going to be so (laughs) angry at me for saying this, but um, when you, when you uh, report sexual assault, Mm -hmm. you can be made whole. You are made whole. I mean, you know, you're not, you're not guilty. And, you know, like I said, it saddens me that you're not made whole in the way that God would want uh, because there isn't a punishment that can be given to the person that assaulted you. But, um there is a prevention element of more people being assaulted. And I'm not saying, so I want to be very clear that the victim of, of abuse having to provide evidence and eyewitness testimony is not a punishment to the person that has um, been the victim of such a horrible thing. It's not a punishment. It is there to protect the victim. Um, And in instances of false accusation, it's there to protect the victim, right. which is the person who's falsely accused against. Right. Um, and I would say, too, as an encouragement, that um, part of one of the many benefits of reporting this kind of crime is that there is an element there of loving your neighbor. Right. Of doing what you can and it's unfair that you're put in this position. Right. Absolutely. It's totally it's not fair. It's not a punishment. And you know what? It's also not because um, the whole calling out thing, I want to make it clear because Summer and I have struggled with this concept. It's not a sin to not report. It's a permission. You can report without shame. And I think you should. Right. And but so if the- you don't, you're not, you don't suddenly become guilty for future abuse that happens or for your the abuse that you experienced. Right. But the encouragement is that because you are free from shame, and you might not feel it, but you are. So live in light of it. That's, That's the what encouragement. the Bible says you are. You are free from shame. I know you might not feel it, 
but try to live in light of that. Try to live in light of God, who God says you are. And I would say there's an element of loving your neighbor and doing what you can to make sure this person doesn't do this again. We realize we live in a broken justice system where rapists, I mean, they're not put to death. Sometimes they have incredibly light charges. Sometimes they walk in six months. I don't, I'm not arguing that that's just. Right. I'm not it's saying. It's absolutely not. Right. I'm not saying that because I'm not like championing our, our justice system because I think it's a, a shame in many, many cases. But what I am saying is that you have an opportunity then to try to love your neighbor with the power that you have in this completely unfair position that you've been put in to attempt future instances right. of this person continuing on in this behavior. Right. Um, because although our justice system is broken, sometimes rapists do end up in jail. Right. And I don't even necessarily believe in jail. That's a whole other episode. Well, but- and so <laughs> the thing is, is that, so in case you're thinking that we just went off the rails and now we're being really insensitive, this is not victim blaming that I'm doing. But in some of the more recent allegations, we have tens of women's of women coming of women <laughs> um coming forward right and the sooner i'm i'm going to phrase it this way the sooner a person is, is found out is rightly accused and charged with guilty on this the less they can continue on yeah hopefully right if the law does anything right <laughs> hopefully it right. will protect this from happening to other women. Right. It's like imagine, and again, I'm not victim shaming, but it's like imagine if it didn't take 20 years right. for people to speak out about Harvey. Like, right. would there be less women who would have a story about him? Right. Statistically, yes. Yeah. That's true. And so it's not to shame them, although I don't think that they made the right choice. I don't right. think it's the right choice. Yeah. You you are, it's a calling out is a permission from God. Yeah. You can call out with it. It's not that you have to, you don't have to, to be like in the case law. Like I said, it wasn't their innocence or guilt wasn't proclaimed based off of whether or not they called cried out. Um, but you can, right. You can, you can, there are certain things that happen when we don't report things like this. Right. Um, and that is just the reality. It's not insensitive because I also um, totally, totally can, you know, understand that the reasons why people wouldn't report. Right. Yeah. And a lot it, of it's, it's fear of not being believed and all of these other things. And so I would say to that one that the sooner you report it, the more evidence you'll have. Right. So that's a positive. Right. Of of that. And I'm not, and again, this goes back to, I'm not saying that you just automatically disbelieve everyone, but, but if you want believability, if that's your number one goal, honestly, the sooner you do it, the more believable it's going to be because of things like evidence and eyewitnesses and all of these things. That's just the nature of the laws of nature and (laughs) the fact that things decay and things disappear and memories are impacted over time and all of these things. And so it's like, there's, there's all these positives in early reporting that 
when, when I think about these things, I'm not actually thinking about any specific case or any specific person. I'm thinking no, about, either. I'm thinking about what am I going to teach my kids? Right. That's what I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if someone, this is the advice I would give to someone who sat in front of me in five minutes and said, this just happened. Right. What should I do? Right. And you like, I, I, like I said, I totally understand the reasons why people do not report um, the feelings and emotions that are associated with um, being sexually assaulted are. Intense. I mean, they're you heavy, can't, you can't. Tense, yeah. They're difficult. There's how many adjectives can you attach right. to it? Like, yeah. Because. And, 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 but and moving sh- forward. Right. What do we do? Right. What am we I going to teach my kids? We report. Right. What am I going to teach my as kids? As soon as you can. Yes. We report. Yes. And, and, um, yeah. So as a mother, it's, it's a, I'm looking at, at what, just what's splashed across Twitter and across Facebook. And I'm just thinking like, if this was my kid's story and I could go back and tell them something different to right. keep this from happening, what would it be? Right. And it would be grounded in scripture. Right. It would be grounded in the truth of scripture. It wouldn't be this. Yeah. And so. Especially don't abandon the scriptures in something this intense especially because right. you'll want to right you will want to right but it, don't because it's, di- because it's difficult to talk about right and because it's painful to think about your kids being in that situation right. and it's hard but we cannot look at the world and and try to emulate their compassion because at the end of the day worldly compassion produces worldly results and you, we cannot deal with shame or victimhood or sex something as serious as sex the way that the world does because they have no category ultimately they have no category for why all of this is wrong that's any greater than it made someone feel bad we believe this is wrong because you are marring it the most intimate in the most intimate way an image bearer of god that is why it's worthy of death Right. That is why it is so painful. And the world may not be able to um, explain why it's so painful because they live on concepts of, well, this made me feel bad. This made me feel good. It It is is more than that. It is literally the worst thing that you can do to another human being, another image bearer that leaves a living. Right. That leaves a living victim. Right. And it's not about making someone feel bad. That's 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 part of it, but that's not what it's about because right. that is euphemistic to its core, and they don't have an answer for it because then, essentially, when you when you try to tell victims, no, you're whole, it's okay, and you're taking their feelings away from them, right. which is how they feel. They feel like, well, you're, now you're invalidating my feelings. It's because feelings are all they have. Right. They don't. Well, have- yeah. In this postmodern world, you are what you feel. Exactly. And so when you use when when we hear words like gain power back gain control back because you feel powerless and you feel like you're out of control what you're when a postmodernist adopts that and thinks that they think they cannot help but think i am powerless and that now is I ha- who i am right and you're either going to live in light of feeling powerless and you're going to be depressed and you're going to be angry and you're going to be bitter or you're going to live in light of i need to get my power back and right. now you're going to live under a covenant of revenge right or you're going to attempt to forget anything that happened right 
which is also not going to provide, that's still not a reminder of truth. Forgetting that something happened doesn't, it doesn't renew the mind. Right. So, <laughs> I don't know. I wanted to talk about the Pence rule, but maybe we'll do that. I think we can talk about that on a different. Another time. Yeah. So. Is there anything else that. Man, it's just heavy. I just let's let the last thought be that um, God God has said something about victims. He has of of rape, right? He has said that they're not guilty, and he has declared them whole. Right. And so let's live in light of whatever that means, right? In each individual case, right? If it means that um, you're someone who has felt this shame for a long time the encouragement is don't live in light of who you feel you are live in light of who god says that you are that is a lie thought right it is right it doesn't feel like it is but it is right um and yeah you 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 are innocent and there is there isn't anything to be ashamed of despite you feeling shame right um that's not that's not based on anything objective. And the recommendation would be that a very unfair burden was placed upon you. Right. And that you should have someone help you carry that. Right. Because you will need help. That doesn't like, we're not, we're totally acknowledging that it doesn't just go away. It is a truth like many truths that need to be preached regularly to oneself. Yes. Absolutely. I don't know how to end it other than I think that's just that's that's I mean, I'm like I'm willing to make all the caveats. There mm-hmm. are people that will misunderstand everything that we tried to sure. say here. And I think that that kind of proves the point that we're trying to make. Sure. Um, but this is the one episode that. I would say if you have a legitimate question. That you feel like we didn't answer. Mm hmm. If you're just angry with us, I'm sure you'll message us anyway. But we're very <laughs> open. Bring we're very, on. very open to um, answering legitimate, honest questions about the things that we've said sure. in this episode because we take this really seriously. Right. And I hope you can be encouraged. Um, and I hope that we can look at the provisions God has made for women in the Old Testament with eyes that understand who he is and what he wanted for women. Um and to really uh, live in light of who he says we are. So um, cool story. Next week, we have a really, really cool guest um, who wrote a really, really awesome book. And I cannot wait to share it with you guys. Um, And it's going to be on the topic of women. So let's just stick there for a while. (laughs) Is this new for us? It's not new for us. Nope. All right, guys. Um, With that, we will see you next week. Yeah.